Welcome into this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Lav, soon to be joined by Rex, and this is the PGA Championship Recap Edition. We're going to break down Justin Thomas's comeback victory on a day of carnage at Southern Hills. We'll talk Mito Pereira's 72nd hole collapse. We'll talk Tiger's setback and Rory's mysterious weekend slide, plus all of mine and Rex's hijinks uh, in what was a very long week in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But first, Odyssey is the number one putter on tour, and all this month they will be highlighting their continued success at golf's biggest events. In fact, it's been the number one putter brand used at 40 straight majors following the PGA Championship. Odyssey is the number one putter on every major tour. They have the most worldwide wins of any putter brand this year. And their newest products, like the White Hot OG, Tri Hot 5K, and the 11, are winning in the professional ranks. For more on the number one putter on tour, visit odysseygolf.com, try the selector tool, and find your new putter today. Well, Rex, we've made it back to our respective hotels, this PGA Championship in the books. I don't know about you, but I just absolutely vacuumed a Big Mac. Did not come up for air. Not kidding when I say that I just sucked that down in about 14 seconds. I'm not sure I've ever been so hungry than I was leaving the media center. We, we, we missed the hot dogs. We missed the pizza. This was the most <laughs> underwhelming uh, media spread we've ever had at a major championship. And I left just absolutely on fumes uh, and needing to uh, be satiated. Yes, Julius Mason, we're talking to you. It was bad food this juice, week. It was bad timing. Juice. juice. We need you. 2023 Oak Hill in my old stomping grounds. Need, need you to come through for us, pal. Be better. Be better. No, I, I don't know if I have this right. So we've been here seven nights. And as you dig into, as you put your sausage fingers into the fries for, I think, the fourth, at least the fourth time in seven nights, maybe the fifth time in seven nights that we went to McDonald's, which is so sad. It's such an indictment. Anyone who thinks we live a glamorous life, watch him, watch him just shovel fries into his face. I actually love, I actually love McDonald's. Love McDonald's. <laughs> I, I never, I never get to have it. There isn't, there isn't one particularly close to my house. Cam, Cam loves the happy meals, of course. Uh, and I never, ever put up a stink if he says he wants to go to Donald's. Uh, I, I love McDonald's too. Everyone loves McDonald's. It's delicious. It's what dreams are made of. Yeah, however, I think we can all agree that it's not very good for you as you get up and you walk away. So we're going to go ahead and go straight in to the PGA championship. And there, there's so many things that I just wanted to camp on here. And I'm just going to start with the absolute obvious, which is you are such a grief eater. And to, to, to kind of peel back the curtain here a little bit, as today unfolded, and there's a lot of things we're going to touch on, and, and Mito Pereira started the day with a commanding lead, and we didn't know how this was going to play out. Oh, we did, though. Didn't, didn't we? As you, I think we did. As you started to get closer and closer to the finish line, you and I weren't together. We were separated. We were both doing our separate things because you had an idea for a column. I had an idea for a column. And then Mito comes to 18, and he slices his drive. I mean, just ugly slice, Healy, whatever it is he did into a water, water hazard, and he ends up making a double bogey, doesn't even make it into the playoff. And I can just, I, I wasn't around you, but I could sense on the property that you, the grief eater had arrived, that you were just going to show up and you were going to just consume all of this. Like Mito's pain, Pereira's pain, 
was going to be what fueled you through the rest of the night. I knew it. And there you were. You could not get enough. Barrera's pain, Mito's misery, uh, however you wanted to describe it with that certain uh, alliteration. Uh, You're right, Rex. So I made the executive decision uh, to go out on on the back nine once Mito uh, made the turn. And look, by that point, he may have started the day with a three-shot lead. He had a three-shot lead. Uh, He even maintained that midway through the front nine. But there was really nothing that gave me confidence that Mito Pereira was going to be able to hang on. Did you have confidence before he started the round, though? Like, honestly, did you have confidence before he started the round? The only reason I had confidence was be- that those around him weren't really instilling me which- with much confidence either. I think Matt Fitzpatrick was the most heralded player uh, among those last two groups, seven wins uh, on the DP World Tour, but it's it had yet to, to break through on the PJ Tour. We did a punch shot uh, on Saturday night, picked a winner. I picked Matt Fitzpatrick. I mean, he was the strokes game leader on the PJ Tour this season. Uh, it, it, he made the most sense of any player. Uh, I'll, I'll put it that way. But look, as, as Mito made the turn, he still had a lead. He wasn't driving it particularly well. In fact, he finished 76. As he got to the 18th tee, he still had, had the lead. Exactly, but he finished 76 out of 78 players, uh, stroke scanned off the tee. Uh, he was nearly last in the field and putting in the final round. And yet on 15, he had a 10-footer that he left short that could have given him a two-shot lead. On 17, he had a 13-footer that would have given him a two-shot lead as he headed to the 72nd hole, and he would not have hit the shot that he hit on the 72nd hole had he made that putt. He would have had a two-shot lead. He could hit three wood down the left. He could lay up if he really wanted to and play for his five and end up winning by two shots. But what happened, Rex? 71st hole of the tournament, Mito Pereira, not a good putter, kid who... 12 years ago, uh, quit the game uh, because some say because of the putting yips, others say because he had lost his love for the game. Pressure shows up in weird ways. That's how it manifests itself on major championship Sundays. And Mito Pereira left a 13-foot putt short that would have given him a two-shot lead. And I think we'd be having a drastically different podcast on Sunday. So Mito Pereira was my story. You can read it on golfchannel.com. I sure hope Mercer Bags uh, used Mito's misery, uh, Pereira's pain. Uh, I have no idea who won this golf tournament. I have no idea how uh, this player won the golf tournament. Please, can you enlighten me uh, over the next 90 minutes? Do not leave out a single detail since I did not. Uh, th- that, was not that was not my realm. Going to take a bit of a victory lap, and I normally don't do this. So not only did I pick Justin Thomas in my punch shot on Wednesday, to win this championship for statistically the reasons we talked about last week in the podcast, that this was a a second shot golf course and you needed to have a good short game with the way the greens were shaved off on the side. And JT is fifth in strokes game approach to the T I mean, approach to the green and he's fifth in scrambling. So he fit the bill and I felt comfortable going into the final round last night before we left the golf course, seven strokes back. I wrote that Justin Thomas was still going to win. And I also wrote that Which would have matched the largest comeback in PJ Championship history. John Mahaffey, uh, for, yes. those, for those at home, 1978. Uh, I mean, that means nothing. I mean, stop. Just don't, don't throw John Mahaffey at people because that means nothing. I mean, the one that really... We're trying you, to enlighten the audience. We're trying to enlighten the, the audience that, with facts and, and statistical data, this, which we would, have, we would have loved, Rex. We would have loved to have this sort of 
a historical context when we were writing our stories. Yes, but we did not have it. The one that stood out was 10 strokes. And that's how far back Paul Lauer came in 1999 at Carnoustie when John Vandeveld did what John Vandeveld is most known for, which is blow the lead on the 72nd hole. I, I'm curious, and, and I will get into, and I'll, I'll break it down in, in excruciating detail, how Justin Thomas won this championship. But in the context of, okay, 10 strokes, Vandeveld, he's the status quo. He's the standard that we always point at and say, well, if you're going to collapse, do it that way. Because that guy did it in a way that was just insane. It was, it was fun. And it was silly. And it was heartbreaking. But it And was... he was Vandeveld. And he got a bad bounce. And he made yeah. some bad decisions. And he stepped into the burn. I don't feel like this is the same level. But I, I'm curious if you do. Because we didn't talk about this on the ride home. Do you feel like this is Vandeveld-ish? No. I, I, don't, I don't think so no. at all. No. In, in fact, that was basically the same shot that he hit in the third round, which was this kind of punchy driver stinger type thing that kind of chases in the fairway and it leaves him, you know, seven or eight iron into the green. He executed it perfectly on Saturday to cap kind of his three under surge to finish that uh, third round that gave him a, a three shot lead heading into the final day. He was trying to hit the exact same shot aimed a little bit too far, right? Got a little ahead of it and it squirted, right on him. And it just barely went to the Creek Rex. It's not like he, he blew it 75 yards offline and was, was just uh, you know playing pinball in the trees. He was just barely offline. And at that point, when you're dropping for your third shot, he had to bend uh, his, his approach shot around a tree that was directly in front of him. At that point, you could just kind of see the life drain out of him. That's, that's understandable. And it was also a, a, a weird dynamic, and I certainly touched on this uh, in uh, the story on, on GolfChannel.com. The fans weren't particularly kind to Mito Pereira. Uh, there no? was a Texas, so? there was a there was a Texas Tech connection, and you heard a couple of fans. Uh, Red Raider Power, apparently that's their that's their cheer. Apparently, they don't do that much uh, at football games because they suck. Uh, but they wanted to show their support. At least some of them did. Uh, for the player who spent one year in Lubbock. But I noticed on uh, 15, leaving the birdie putt short, they cheered. I noticed on 17, leaving the birdie putt short, they cheered. I noticed on 18, when he found the water off the tee, it was not immediately clear, uh, because fans aren't allowed on that side, whether the ball had actually gone in uh, to the creek. And when I got by... Uh, the 18th green uh, players were, or excuse me, the fans were kind of murmuring to each other about what had actually happened. And all of a sudden on the jumbotron, they showed the CBS replay. And sure enough, uh, there was Mito's ball uh, swimming in the Creek. A cheer rang out, a cheer rang out. Either they didn't want Mito to win. They were excited that uh, for the potential of a playoff, they were Justin Thomas and Will Zalatoris fans. And they wanted to see those two duel. But I couldn't help but notice they cheered when the ball won the creek. They cheered when the ball missed the green. They cheered when the ball raced past the flag. And they cheered when Mito's 22-footer uh, that he absolutely had to make to be in a playoff that never should have happened. Uh, they cheered when he left that three and a half feet short. Uh, at least to the crowd, he was not the sympathetic loser that I think Jean Vandevelt was. Uh, it, but no, to, to answer your original question, there was no slapstick comedy to, to, to Mito's demise. It was just kind of like a slow, sad, inexorable march 
to finishing third? Uh, it, it felt it felt like this was inevitable. And I hate to say that because Mito seems like a very talented player. He seems like he's going to have a wonderful career on the PGA Tour. That being said, he was not in was, command at all on Sunday. Not in command was, at all. This was his second major he's ever played in. This is the first time he'd ever played the weekend at a major championship. That is not a recipe for success. And to go back to and to steer the conversation back to Justin Thomas, of all the things that gave him hope, and there weren't many that gave him hope on Saturday night as he was getting ready to go into Sunday's final round, seven strokes back. He was a touchdown back. John Mahaffey. The final. John Mahaffey. Of, the, uh, of all the things that could have possibly given him hope, the one thing that he did allude to, and, and modern players don't do this because this is almost a slight. He pointed out that the people in front of me, they hadn't won a major. I've won a major. Of the top nine players in the leaderboard going in the final round, just three of them had won a major. And Stuart Sink and Bubba Watson were tied with Justin Thomas. And we can all agree. JT, that didn't, those, point three, JT didn't point that out on Saturday. He didn't talk to the media because he stormed off the golf course after a 74 and marched straight uh, to the range where he had a, what, a, a little meet and greet with, with Bones, a little, a little pep talk, a little love tap. Well, and, and here's the fascinating part. And JT talked about this earlier in the week. And I find the dynamic between Justin Thomas and his father, Mike, who's his swing coach, fascinating because I have sons of kind of a similar age. And I can't imagine what it would be like. Trust me when I tell you, I could tell my son that don't stick your hand in the meat grinder because it'll get bloody and, and messed up. And he's going to look at me defiantly and stick his hand in the meat grinder. That's the way it works with father and for the and love sons. of God, don't shove your finger into that electrical socket. Yes, in the electrical socket. All, all the things. And I'm sure you'll run into that with Cam as he gets Already older had. and more defiant. And he gives me this stupid little grin saying, like, watch me. Oh, I'm going to watch That's you get right. electrocuted. I'm going to watch you. And then I'm going to poop <laughs> in my pants. And I'm going to make mom come clean it up. So I can sort of sympathize or certainly empathize with in this situation what Mike Thomas is going through. Because when JT talked about it early in the week, this had everything to do with the idea that sometimes I need tough love and my dad is reluctant to do that. And I, I get that. Like as a father in that situation, you don't want to scream at your son. Like you want to put him in a position where he's going to succeed and you're probably going to tell him things that you don't probably believe. That yes, yes, you're putting great when he's obviously not putting great. In this particular situation, I find it fascinating that they got to the range Saturday night and it wasn't Mike Thomas that, that stepped to the plate. It was Bones. Jim Bones Mackay, our former colleague at NBC Sports and Golf Channel, who went to work last year with Justin Thomas after a lifetime with Phil Mickelson as his caddy. He's a Hall of Fame caddy. And he's the one that stepped up and said, you're being too hard on yourself. Just stop. Yes. We all know you had a bad third round. You, you felt like you played your way out of contention. But 74 is not the end of the world on this golf course. Yes, you're seven strokes back, but this is what we can do. And from there, I, find it, I found it fascinating. They built a plan that they figured out a way that, okay, we can make this work. That going forward, let's go into this final round. When I asked Mike about it this afternoon, he said the plan was we're only four shots back from second. Let's focus on all those players in second place at six under par and then go from there. And it makes because sense. They knew because they knew Mita was going to come back to the field. Uh, they probably knew that. And they probably knew that when you start putting in the context of your seven strokes back, that gets probably too big to swallow. Because then all of a sudden, and by the time he got to the third hole and he makes a bogey, JT was actually eight strokes back. So with 15 holes to play. 400 to one odds midway through that first round. 400 to one odds. Through the final round. 400 to one. 
I don't that, I don't know how I don't know I don't know how gambling works, Rex, but I know those yeah. are long odds. So you have to swallow that one piece at a time, right? You're not going to take that all on at one point. So I, I love the fact that they're they sort of just decided, okay, even when he played the front nine and even par, which was not exactly what he needed. He needed to to, to have a good round. They still had some confidence. And I just love the idea that he never gave up on the idea. And, and um, this is where I'm going to take my humble brag. On Saturday night, I picked JT to win for all the reasons I just pointed out. You literally all people- no, you literally said, I can't, I can't turn my back on him now. You had no statistical no. justification for that. No, if you go and you read GolfChannel.com, you'll see it. The timestamp is there. I made the argument that, yes, he's going to need some help from Mito. Mita's going to have to come back to the field a little bit, and he's going to have to shoot a special round. Both those things happened. And I, I will say that only in as much as I felt like that, yes, I picked him on Wednesday, and even seven strokes back, I still had confidence in him. Hmm. I mean, harumph. It, like, everything did need to fall his way, and, and it did. Like He played a very good round, I think 67 tied. Uh, the low round of the day, I mean, JT had three rounds of 67. The, the, the lone round where he did not play well uh, was a 74 on Saturday, in which uh, afterward he received uh, that great pep talk uh, from Bones. Even late, Rex, in this final round, you, you have to admit, JT should not have won this golf tournament. Sure, he could have made the, what, 10-footer on the 72nd hole uh, that, that probably would have won this thing outright, but Mito wins this golf tournament by two or three shots. If he does not do some of the things that he did on the back nine, that's not to take anything away from Justin Thomas. This is how uh, major championships victory. Sometimes you win them. Sometimes you're on the receiving end of some good fortune from an unproven player. Who's also uh, clearly under duress on Sunday. We, we haven't even talked about the way that Justin Thomas played in the playoff. Probably because I didn't watch it. Uh, but he played uh, those three holes, like the aggregate machine. playoff. Yeah, he was a machine. In, in yeah, there, there's, there's nothing to say. I mean, he he there's missed one say. shot. Say it. He missed, he missed his drive on the first hole, which was the 13th hole. And he put it in the left rough, and he had to lay up out of the rough and then got up and down. And then from there on in was just machine-like. It's absolutely – I mean, it, it was it was a textbook. Drove, drove the par four 17th. I mean, Mito would have absolutely killed – uh, for that drive in regulation, standard two putt birdie uh, that gave him the, the cushion they eventually needed to win. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a machine performance. I think at that point, once he realized that he was in a playoff, I, I, I think he, re- he knew that he had this one simply because of the confidence that he had. I, I, guess, I guess the only thing I would add is, and to your point, did Mito lose this or did JT win it? Because that's always the, the fun podcast distinction that we always have a conversation about. That's a tough one. Uh, just, like any, just like any major championship, I think there, it's, a, it's a combination of the two. I mean, you have to keep in mind, Mito shot 75. It, it's not like he shot uh, 72 and there were some ill-timed bogeys in there. Like he imploded. A bogey at the last gets him in he the Im- playoff. And he, Im- he, can't, he, he can't even make a bogey at the last. He imploded with a Sunday 75 in which he literally did not do anything well, did not drive it well, did not hit uh, tight iron shots and did not make any putts. Like he did not do anything well in that respect. Mito gave it away. JT again, he went out there and won at six, seven, I believe had the low round of the day two under for the three hole playoff. Uh, 
he, he put away in a, a player who is very good in Will Zalatoris, uh, Willie Z. Eight major starts, five top tens. I mean, the dude is very good. Unfortunately uh, for him, Imagine his bug- if he get putt. His his unfortunately his, his bugaboo is short putting, and he three putted sixteen, including a miss uh, from about four feet uh, that that eventually doomed him to the playoff. Otherwise, it could have been a, a, a drastically different story. So, look, I think I think it's a combination of the two. I don't think you can say Mito lost it outright. I don't think you can say JT won it either. He certainly needed some help, and, and Mito uh, was more than happy to do that for him. And I hate doing this, but it's a fine it, the fine line demands had jt gone out and shot 63 regardless of what mito did i would say yes jt won that like that that goes without saying in this particular case mito did come apart on the last hole you make a bogey on the last hole at least you're in in the playoff that being said i just don't i i think it's you have to kind of look at the the everything as a whole and in this particular case i felt like for him to take a one-stroke lead to the last hole that you're right. He hadn't done anything well all day long, and yet somehow he had grinded it out, and there he was. He had a chance to win this. I'm not exactly sure what he was doing. It was funny. I was actually in the locker room, and there was two caddies watching. And, and on the tee, they started, even before he hit, they were having a debate about, do you hit driver, do you not hit driver? And it, it was interesting hearing them talk as it was sort of unfolding. It was a terrible shot. You're right. I, I don't know. If he kind of healed it, I don't know if, if he just didn't start it on the right line. I don't know what the problem was. But in that situation with the one-stroke lead on that particular hole, which is sort of unique because you're playing to a spot. How does a, how does a member play How does the member play that golf hole? I mean, you're playing to a spot. That, that's the part that gets me. It's one of the weird holes in major championship golf because it's not as though length doesn't do you any good there. Because that creek comes into play, and it's no one's going to be long enough to carry the creek, so you're all everyone's going to be laying back to a to a spot, and I'm guessing it's around 200, 190 yards to the hole uphill, and it was into the wind the majority of the week. I mean, it was just a demanding hard hole. I have no problem with that, but the part that gets me is if you're Mito or anyone else that stepped to that tee, and and I'll even put this, I'll turn this on JT because we got great sound during the CBS telecast of JT and Bones sort of talking this out in, in real time on the 72nd hole. And Bones's point was, all right, I, I'm fine with that if you tell me what your line is. And I think what Bones was getting to was you need to be left of left. Like there's no way you miss that shot right, and that's where Mito missed it, and that's where he lost the tournament. How does this change, Rex, the way that you view Justin Thomas? I have no idea what you wrote. Uh, for golfchannel.com, when you look now at the historical context of JT's career, 15 wins, two majors, two PJ championships, a players championship, players, a FedEx yeah. Cup title, playoff wins, WGCs, WGC. I mean, the dudes won that. Would dudes basically won everything uh, outside of the other three majors from a PJ championship? Was this much needed? Were you starting to worry about JT uh, to the point that it became? Uh, kind of a, a mini Rory in this this winless drought in the major since 2017 PGA. I, I wouldn't have done that. Not not to JT. And and look, last year he was very quick. And I don't think anyone is harder on JT than JT because when you asked him about you know grade your season last year, it was a D. It was a solid D, and it was a very very quick D. And you're thinking, okay, you didn't really contend in the majors, but you won the Players Championship, which is a big event. And I, I don't know if that really qualifies as D. At the very least, I mean. 
thank God he wasn't my teacher when I was in college because I probably wouldn't have made it out of college. I mean, at the very least, I think it was a D, it was a C minus. I, I, I would say this, and, and this is again, one of those dumb podcast debates, but that line that you just read to me, two major championships, the players, the WGC, everything else that goes into it, that's a Hall of Fame career. At, at least as it stands now. Now, oh, I mean, he was, a, he was a Hall of Famer before this PJ Championship. One major and a players? I, I don't know. I mean, that, that that's a debate. You and I, major probably, player, I, FedEx Cup, fourteen. Yeah, I probably could have had a conversation by the, by the about age of twenty-eight. Before. Again, it, and we're assuming that everything. I mean, call it dead stop right now. Full stop. If he full stops right here, then yes, he's in the Hall of Fame. If you would have asked me this a week ago, I probably would have wanted to have a conversation about it. But it's amazing how two major championships can push you over the top. And in this particular case, I, I yeah, I guess there was a little Roy in there when I thought about how he had played over the last couple of years. Not even really since he won the PGA in 2017, more so how he's played just maybe the last two years, where I feel like the consistency, at least on Sunday, as a world-class player, hadn't been there. But what, what I've seen from him, and not just today, but over the last, I don't know, I don't know, two months, you want to call it, is a guy that's driven, is a guy that has the complete game, which we saw today. Bones talked about it. I mean, he really doesn't have any weaknesses in his game when putting, everything is firing. Putting, putting, is, putting, putting is can a be a weakness. This week, he ranked second in the field in putting. That's a, a large reason why he won. That's a large reason why he won. But I think if he's going to rank second in the field, you should probably expect him to win you wouldn't expect him to need a playoff and to come from behind as well as he hits the ball. Right. Uh, that's fair. That's because fair. I mean, if you look at what, what he did statistically this week, he was seventh in greens and regulation fifth in fairways hit. I, I just, I, I would think that he would have not needed some sort of magical Sunday, which is what essentially he ended up with to pull off this victory. I, I don't know that I was as critical as, when it comes to, to JT as I am when it comes to Rory and we're going to get into him in a second, but I, I don't think I would have been as hard on him simply because I felt like he is, is he's in the conversation more than not. I feel like that when he's on his game, I have more confidence in him closing it out than I do in Rory closing it out. I agree with that. And everything we've seen over the past five years has proven that, that right now, Justin Thomas is a better golfer than Roy McIlroy. He has more shots. He's more consistent. He has more firepower. Uh, he has more titles over uh, that particular stretch, even this with this quote-unquote dry spell that he's had uh, over the past year and a half or so. But there, there had been, uh, I think, some, some Roy tendencies from what we've seen in Justin Thomas in the majors since that PGA Championship. Just three top tens, uh, excuse me, four top tens in the majors since Quail Hollow. We talked about it actually in the preview podcast about he's he's really been a slow starter, which was really uh, has been the, the chief reason why Rory now has gone eight years without a major. He had five consecutive major championships started with an over par round uh, to Justin Thomas, and it it just reeked of a player who was putting too much pressure on himself. We talked about it. Uh, about Justin Thomas Saturday night heading into Sunday. Bones telling him, stop being so hard on yourself. You're a great player. Racking up all these top tens. You just need to relax. And he's always been that perfectionist. That was the same way in junior golf, where he's really hard on himself. 
same way in college when he was a college player of the year. I think it certainly defined uh, his 20s on the PGA Tour. It's a guy who burns intensely hot. It, it certainly fuels him uh, to great successes, uh, but I also think it can it can hamper him uh, when, when he's just a little bit off and that he can uh, potentially press uh, to try and get back in that winner circle too much. Uh, I also think, Rex, the symmetry uh, of this Justin Thomas win cannot be ignored. I don't think uh, – I, I think it's worth certainly pointing out that Justin Thomas won this PGA Championship the same week that his boyhood idol, Tiger Woods, bowed out because of injury at the same place that Tiger Woods back in 2007 won at Southern Hills. Bones, Jim Bones, Mackay, uh, the winning caddy, the same week that his boss, his former boss, Phil Mickelson, was a no-show uh, for this PJ Championship defense. Uh, I'm not sure when we'll see Phil next. Uh, I have certainly uh, an inclination that we'll see him in a couple weeks' time uh, at London and potentially uh, endangering uh, the great legacy that Phil and Bones crafted together over their 25 years together. There was a lot of uh, symbolism, a lot of is. What's what's the noun of of symmetry? Sim- no, oh. hmm. no idea. I guess there's just a lot of symmetry. I guess there's just okay. a lot of symmetry to what Justin Thomas did here. I, I think this is. I, I think this was much needed for him. Yeah, we I'd talked about it. I think at the after the Masters, that Scotty Scheffler winning, I believe four of six. I said John Rahm is capable of doing that. Roy McIlroy is capable of doing that. And Justin Thomas most certainly is capable of doing that. I'm not saying, Rex, that the Scotty Scheffler era is over. Not saying that. But don't be surprised if Justin Thomas goes absolutely toward this summer. Well, and I think you brought this up uh, relatively recently, I think. And, and I think it's apropos to what we're talking about now, where the idea was you mentioned that Tiger Woods is his boyhood idol. It also seems like they have some sort of – younger brother, little brother, quasi-brother thing going on between the two of them. They're clearly close friends, but, I I mean, I think it goes beyond that. And I'm curious. I mean, JT has mimicked everything. Every single mannerism that JT has now is something that Tiger did at one point in his career. Like, And I wonder if that brings extra Yeah, Of course it does. Of of course that brings extra pressure. I'm curious, yeah, if, if, if when he goes out and he plays in these, I'm sure that, Tiger has either said or, or insinuated to him that, well, you should have won more than one major championship. And I think probably JT feels that way deep down inside. But when you hear it from Tiger Woods, and we all know what Tiger Woods means to him, I, that, that probably hits a little bit differently. I will say this, that at the end of his press conference tonight, I wanted to, and I had to look it up, but I wanted to make sure I got this quote right. And he was asked, JT was asked, do you feel like Tiger's celebrating right now? Have you talked to him? And the quote was, I don't know. I'm sure he'll probably give me a hard time for shanking it. He actually did hit a shank on the uh, sixth hole. It was an amazing shot. A really good bogey, actually, there. Uh, I should have made the putt on 18. Shouldn't have been in the playoff. I don't know. He'll always find something to give me grief about. That is a classic. Like, I'm not a psychologist. I don't want to try to play one on the podcast. But, man, I I know what that is. That's some passive-aggressive nonsense right there. You know, it's been a long week, Rex, uh, when I tried to come up with a word uh, for symmetry, the noun of symmetry. And you I was thinking, and, and you're still symmetricity, looking, you? symmetricity, like, what no. are you, like, what are you even thinking? 
Symmetricity. Like I was, I almost said symmetricity. Uh, that's how you know. Thank God you uh, didn't. It has been uh, far too long. Uh, you did mention Tiger Woods, and hey, he was a story of this PGA Championship, at least through fifty-four holes. Last we did this podcast, you and I both said, "Oh, I, we think Tiger Woods will make the cut. Probably top thirty would be a somewhat attainable goal." And look, Tiger Woods, to his credit, did make the cut. <laughs> At the Southern Hills, needed a backline rally uh, to do so. But, hey, he has now played the weekend uh, in each of the first two major championships. However, Saturday, 79, and a couple hours later, uh, announced because of a foot injury uh, that he was withdrawing from the PGA Championship. It is unknown when we will see him next. U.S. Open uh, is in just four weeks' time. Uh, The Open Championship, of course, begins in less than two months. What's your takeaway from this, Rex? Uh, you know what? It's funny. I think we were both right and we were both wrong. He'd make the cut. He finished top 30. Turns out he made the cut and he didn't finish at all. Uh, I, I think it, it's an eye-opening chapter because we assumed that he's found a way to put himself back together again. He, he called himself Humpty Dumpty. And his team that's around him has found a way to put the sprockets and the duct tape and the, and the super glue and everything else and get it back into place to make sure he can go out there and not fall apart as he's walking down the hills. Hammer! The hills. Duct tape! Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's, it's Wire. just... It, it, I can Gauze. just imagine them, them just screaming, like, you know, turn up the heat in the tub. Just, just <laughs> give, me, give me the duct tape, staples, whatever it takes, chicken wire. Let's make sure we can get him put back together again somehow, some way. Um, so he had six weeks between the Masters and this event to put himself back together. And we, we saw what we have seen before, which is him showing up on Monday and looking halfway decent and the swing looks all right. And then by the time we get to a cold Saturday, he looks like he's about to fall down in the big puddle of what used to be Tiger Woods. And I think that's going to be sort of the norm going forward. And it's only a month between now and the U.S. Open. I don't know how, you know, barring a met- medical miracle that we don't know about at this point, he's going to be able to do that because I'll go back to what I've said all along ever since I watched him play at Augusta and watched him try to climb those stairs at the clubhouse. I don't know why he's doing this. Like, look, he's accomplished a lot in his career. Just the fact he made the cut at the Masters should be one of those celebrations that we should all just in- embrace each other. Let's give each other huge hugs. Because this has been unbelievable. This ranks up there with the 2019 Masters and the Tour Championship and the 15 majors and whatever else you want to compare it to. But why? Why is he going to continue to do this to himself? Because it looks painfully, it, it looks painful to the extreme, and there is no way in the back of his mind. He'll say all the right things. Yes, I, I show up here to win. Second sucks. All of the things, there's no way he can believe that anymore. Why is he doing this? Yeah, why? To Tell me, me, why? To me, I think he's doing it for a couple of reasons because he wants to prove that he can. He's gone through swing changes, myriad injury issues, uh, and always climbed that mountain and been a champion. To me, uh, living legends want to go out on their terms. They, they, they don't. He could have. He could have done the thing that no other living legend can no, do. He, he could have walked have. away after the twenty nineteen Masters because he drove his SUV off a cliff and badly mangled his leg. He doesn't want that to be the last chapter of what's been an absolutely legendary oh. career. 
No. I he's I don't. he he's 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 playing Rex and he's fighting through the pain because at that point it makes it easier to forget what happened and that he actually put himself through this issue. You think back to 2019 and he won the Masters. The back was the issue. We were talking about his back. We have not talked about his back, Rex, in in, in a year and a half. That still that still looms large. He literally has a fixed spine. And yet now it's all about whether he can walk a golf course. It 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 boggles my mind listening to some people before this PJ championship started saying, you, you know, I think Tiger can can contend here. They oh, they stop. clearly drank they they truly they they clearly drank the Kool-Aid when he said that he's he's stronger, he's got more stamina, he's got more endurance. He definitely, definitely was the word that he used. Uh, thinks that he can win and contend at the PGA Championship. That's not reality. That is not the I, reality. I would, I would just challenge situation. all of those people to to pay attention, like just to watch. I, don't take it from you, or don't take it from me, or, or and don't listen to what Tiger says. Because in this particular case, I hate to break it to you, he's not going to be entirely honest about this. But just watch him. Anyone who watched him make it around this golf course over the last whatever six days will tell you that, oh, no, like that guy can't win a golf tournament. Not now. Like maybe something will change. Maybe doctors will figure something out. Maybe he will progress enough a year from now that we'll have a completely different conversation next year at Oak Hill. But I don't see that happening. There's just so many ways to feel watching Tiger Woods play golf right now. Like I, I do think in a way <laughs> it's, it's inspiring to watch him play. Like, on Thursday, he shot 74. It clearly could have been much worse. He held it together. The fact that he even gutted it out uh, for 18 holes, Roy McIlroy said that if it were him, he would have seriously thought about uh, withdrawing after that first round. I, I think it's clearly inspiring watching a guy who has nothing left to prove, still putting himself in the arena, knowing it hurts, uh, knowing uh, that it may not even get better. But it also, it's tinged with sadness. Like, this 15-time 15 major champion, 82-time winner, is he really just going to be relegated to, to a life of pain? To, to play a game that has given him so much? It's like, it's like he's paying the price for, for kicking these guys' asses for the past 25 years. Like, is this some sort of sick, twisted game that now he has to pay this price? There's so many conflicting emotions that I have watching Tiger Woods play golf and Tiger himself has admitted he is going to play in pain for the foreseeable future for years to come. Jack Nicholas at the champions dinner at Augusta national the Tuesday before he asked him, why are you playing? And Tiger's response was that his doctor said it's going to hurt this year and it's going to hurt next year. So why prolong it? Just go ahead fight through it and see what you can do. That's sad. Uh, that's that's I, sad I would, to me that it's gotten to this point. I, I saw a story last week about Dirk Nowitzki, the, um, the Dallas Maverick star who retired a few years ago. And in the story, he said that he probably held on for two or maybe three years too long. And that the toll that took on his body has made it almost impossible for him to function as a normal adult right now, where He's struggling to get around his house and he can't play with his kids and it's hard for him to walk to his car. All the awful things we hear about athletes now where the toll it takes 
on the human body when we try to be bigger, stronger, faster. All of those things have a toll. You have to pay a price. In this particular case, I would only question, and I get it, and, and I've been callous and I've been the normal sports fan when it comes to PED use in, in Major League Baseball. I'm a baseball fan. And I always said all along, I don't care if someone wants to use PEDs it, it, to hit more home runs. I mean, if you want to pollute your body and you don't care your about lifespan, the purity of the game, I don't. If you want to pollute your body and, and shorten your lifespan to entertain me to hit more home runs, have at it, pal. Like you, you can reap whatever benefits you want. If it's going to make me happy, then yes, by all means, go out there and knock yourself out. I will say that in this particular case, I find it fascinating that he would push these boundaries because there will be a toll. There'll be a price that he'll have to pay. And whether if that's it, it, five it, years it, from now. It, it clearly looks like he had a setback at Southern Hills. Like um, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't flinch. He didn't grimace. Uh, he didn't hobble the way uh, – he didn't hobble at Augusta the way that he did here at Southern Hills. Like it, it looked like his foot hurt and less of his ankle and lower right leg. And that's easily possible. I mean, all the trainers I've talked to about this said that he's every compensation he's going to make for that leg. And there's going to be tons and tons of compensations to make for that leg because it hurts. It's just it's human nature to shy away from things that hurt. That's why we survive as a species. You don't want to hurt yourself. And in this particular case, if it hurts for him to turn completely, you know, turn away from the ball completely on his right leg, he's probably going to put more pressure on his right foot or his right ankle. And it's all part of the kinetic chain. We've talked about this before, that, of course, something's going to give that you're a 40 something year old man with multiple back surgeries and you've had your legs rebuilt by the best surgeons money could buy. Yes, there's going to be consequences for this. And my fear is, is that 10 years, I would wonder if I'm Tiger Woods, what are the consequences going to be? Am I going to be able to walk in the backyard with Charlie and Sam and I don't know, hit, hit a chip shot? Am I going to be able to kick a soccer ball? whatever the case may be. At this point, it's quality of life more so because I don't see him winning major number 16. And please, please prove me wrong. Like I would love for them to prove me wrong because that would be fabulous. Like I would just savor every minute of that. I just don't see how that happens on this current body. I think this PJ championship uh, appearance proved that Tiger himself tried to try to push too much. Like after the, after the master's, I think you and I were both in agreement. Oh, the next time we'll see him is at St. Andrews. And so to me, it was, it was a surprise that he even made the trip to Tulsa and, and played the, uh, kind of had, had the scouting mission uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was a surprise to me that he teed it up in this major championship. I have been wrong about this uh, from the get-go, basically for the past year and a half. I thought after the accident, we never see Tiger Woods play golf again. Once I saw the swing video, I thought there's absolutely no way he's going to play the PNC championship. Once I saw uh, the, uh, the recon trip that he made up to Augusta, I said, there's no way he's going to play in the masters. I said, after he played the masters, there's no way we're going to see him in the next two major championships. I have no idea where the story is going to go from here. However, I would be very surprised if we saw him any time before either that JP McManus pro-am uh, in Ireland about a week and a half before uh, the Open Championship or St. Andrews. It does him absolutely no good. It would just be a huge hindrance to his recovery efforts to show up in Brookline 
in four weeks' time. Agree or disagree? I've been playing cat and mouse with uh, human resources with you for the last few months uh, about catching a case. Because, and I don't know if you're regular. I'm not the listener. one who's going to report you. It's someone else on staff. Well, no, I, I say it on the podcast, and so no one needs to report me. It's on the record. It's 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 on the interweb, and it's going to be there forever. So it, you're colorblind, and I I don't mean to make light of this, but I I only want to point this out because there was a moment, and and it, this was scary because Aaron Wise got hit by a golf ball, drilled, and absolutely drilled. clocked. Yeah, he got clobbered. He got uh, he domed. Went, he, he went down. He had to put some ice on his head. Like it was, it was pretty bad. But there was such a funny moment between you and Mark Slayball, the, the the writer from ESPN, who we both love so much and does such a good job with both golf and college football. That's why you love him because he's from Georgia. I get it. But you two were having a debate, and I'm locked into a story. I, I'm, I'm focused in. I'm not listening to your nonsense. I'm trying not to pay attention to the funny games going on around me because I have a job to do. And at some point, Mark goes. No, I think the mark in his hat, which was a white hat, by the way, was red. And you responded, 100% it was blue. And at that point, I had to just rip myself away from whatever it is I was doing and just state the obvious, that there was no way you can say that with that amount of certainty, and there's no way that Mark could ever take that at face value. You're colorblind. And you two went round and round about this for the better part of, I I don't know, I'm exaggerating, three hours? No. No, you're definitely you're definitely misremembering. All right, so here's here's how it actually went. So uh, Schleyball and I were the only two writers who were waiting on Aaron Wise. He went into, into the player services area for about twenty minutes uh, to ice his head, make sure uh, he was not uh, concussed. He Cust. came out, and uh, I said, "Where did it hit you?" He takes his hat off and he shows me, and there's a blue line, uh, top right of his hat, uh, kind of near the Adidas logo. I was sure it was blue because I even looked twice. I wrote it down in my notebook. B L D E. You think that helps if you you look blue. twice and you write it down? You think that helps? So he and I he and I scurry back to our desk and we're tap tap tapping, trying to make sure it gets out <laughs> on the internet first, tweet it out and all that. And uh, I go to to read his uh, to see if he had uh, any details or how he kind of crafted it. And I noticed that he put uh, that there was a red line on the hat, it, even though Aaron Wise had clearly shown us uh, that that was not. True. So I, I texted Schleyball. I texted him on my iMessage. I said, hey, hey, man, uh, it was it was a blue blue line, red, not not a red line. Uh, you might want to change that. He comes he comes schlepping over there. He goes, definitely red. I go, no, it wasn't. I, I was right there. I even I even looked twice, wrote it down in my notebook. I, I showed him my notebook. B-L-U-E, blue. He goes, no, it wasn't. Round and round we go. That's when you start piping in. I'm not sure I've ever been so sure of anything in my life and you could not have been more that, wrong then that line was blue i said there's one way to do this i texted aaron wise's agent got right back to me i said hey sorry this is embarrassing was the line on his head you know from the spot that he got hit uh red or blue he goes definitely red, red. definitely red i go seriously yes. he goes 100 yes. i even pull up aaron wise's instagram uh to show him a picture because he, he posted the picture of the hat I'm still convinced that it was nope. blue. Red, red, blue colorblind is not a thing. It's, it's red, green colorblind. For those who do not know about colorblindness, the test is not, oh, what color shirt am I wearing? Hate that question. That doesn't the change color, the fact you're wrong. The colorblind test is basically a collage of colors, and there'd be like a number three on the page. Uh, normal people easily pick out the three. Colorblind people, it looks just like 
uh, a collage of colors. You, you can't uh, distinguish of that. I, f- I failed all 40 pages uh, of that colorblind test, have not been tested in about 10 years. Uh, clearly, it has not gotten better. I, I, I think everyone, I, I still think everyone else is wrong. That was a blue line that Aaron mm. Wise got trilled in. You're wrong. Slayball's wrong. No. I think I'm going to go on the system and change it. Change it no. back. No. I mean, it was obviously red. Like, I, I can't stress this anymore. Please, just, just put, the, put the picture on Twitter so people can just see it and, and people can just tell you, like, just stop. I, I mean, is this I, the way you – are you this way with your wife where you're uh, obviously wrong and you just decide that, nope, I'm not going to be wrong. I'm going to dig in. Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not usually wrong. Uh, there it is. If, I, if, right. if, I, if I'm being fair. Now, when it comes to colors, uh, I do you're, defer. You're I do defer to my wife. She picks out everything that's that's long been the case before. Her, her is my college girlfriend. Uh, before her, it was my mom who picked out my clothes. If you see me at a golf tournament, apparently I was uh, getting a lot of TV time. I wear dark and I wear light. Light, dark. Dark, light. That's how I dress myself. That way there is no confusion. How do we, how do we get caught on this? I think we're talking about Tiger. Uh, let's uh, let's let's yeah, move on from colorblindness. Let's move on from Tiger, real quick. What were some of your other takeaways? I know you want to talk about Rory, your boy. Uh, I don't really want to talk about Rory. That w- that was disappointing to the extreme. Only because, and I think we had this conversation this afternoon. I mean, he has to be the most inconsistent star player in the game, and I've said that before, and and I'll stick by it. Where because I, I had a level of confidence at when he starts the week with an opening sixty five. Based on the idea that since he won his last major, the twenty fourth opening PGA round scoring a major in eleven years. Yes, he was thirty five over par in the first round of major championships since he won that that uh, PGA at Valhalla. Ooh, it gives bad. you an idea. It gives you an idea of how bad he's been in the opening round, and for him to get off to that start where he's five under par, he's in the lead. Now all of a sudden the pressure's off. I would have thought. Now all of a sudden I can just go out and be Rory. And do Rory things, I would have thought. Now I can just go out and relax and enjoy myself, I would have thought. None of those things happened. What happened is he shot 71, 74, and he goes into Sunday. And I just love the idea that when I showed up, I play golf this morning, which I never do on Sunday. How'd you play? Uh, You know what? I didn't play bad. I didn't play bad at all. You know who did play bad? Todd Lewis. Yes, Todd Lewis. I wasn't going to say any names. I was just going to use initials. But yes, Todd Lewis played absolutely awful. But when I showed up to the golf course, uh, when I showed up to Southern Hills after playing golf this morning at Patriot Golf Club, which is an unbelievable cool, cool place, uh, Rory had just birdied four straight holes starting at the second. And I kind of looked at the leaderboard, and I think I turned to you, and, I'm, and my response was, of course he is, because he knows he has no chance of winning. Rory did not talk to the media today. And I don't know exactly why. He didn't, we he didn't talk on Saturday either after the 74, which I, I, was actually, I was actually okay with because his frustration. Uh, uh, it painted a picture that you wanted to paint. I get he it. Was, yes. He was clearly miserable. I'm not sure if there's anything he could have said uh, that would have added any, any further context other than, boy, that sucked. Uh, yes. And I, I guess – because I, I look at this, if I'm Rory, do I want to talk to the media? And in this particular case, the questions he doesn't want to answer is 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 what is it in mental? What what is it 
in what your mind. What happened? No, what is it in your the question, mind the question that is makes what it happened. so easy to shoot a great round on Sunday when you have no chance of winning? Because the obvious answer to that is, well, because I have no chance of winning. And that means that I'm really not good at dealing with pressure right now. And we can read that however we want. And I'm sure in sports, because it's a, this is the way we, we do it in sports, you're going to look at it and say, well, he's soft. And maybe he is. I would go the other way and just say a guy that's won as much as he has, a guy that has as many majors as he has, for him to take this turn that's going on a decade plus now where he can't seem to do it in the biggest events that mean the most to him is fascinating to me. Like, at what point did the switch get flipped and why? I don't know. Um, I don't caught I don't, you off guard on that one. I, I I don't I don't know when the when the flip got switched, but it's it is. Am it I is wrong? In, it is indisputably switched. A- am I wrong? Like when you look at his performances in the final round at majors, and I'll go back to the the Masters just last month, and I think we had this conversation on Sunday night at the Masters too. Of course, he was going to shoot a sixty three because he had zero chance of 64. winning. Sixty four. Sorry. Because he had zero chance of winning, so he was going to go out. And and look, man, I am in the bag. Like, we have made this perfectly clear on this podcast. I'm a Rory guy. You're a Jordan guy. But this is disappointing to me. Because he opened with a 65. You felt like that, oh, he's finally gotten over the hurdle. And it's the exact same formula. Where he showed up on Sunday, and I've got nothing to lose. And I'll go out, and I'll just, you know, do my best. And then he birdies four straight. And suddenly you start thinking, huh. It's Mito Pereira. You never know what's going to happen. Maybe if he gets a couple more birdies, he shoots that 63. Maybe he can get it to the house. Are Does you trying to burp? The same? Are you trying no. to burp? No. Do you want like to burp? trying to burp? No, it sounds like you're trying to burp. I'm not. Maybe he can get it to the house. And it's Mito Pereira. And as we've established that he's probably not the rock solid, you know, <laughs> gold standard when it comes to guys who close major championships. I, I in my mind... I'm just having a hard time figuring out why is he okay in that situation? And the second it becomes real and the second it becomes something that, Oh, I actually can win this. I'm going to play my last. I'm going to do the math wrong here. 13 holes and two over par four birdies in a row from two through five, two two bogeys and two over par. I'm it, it like, it's kind of a, it's just kind of like a running joke at this point. Like he shot 64 and I could have told you exactly what he was going to say in this press conference afterward. Oh, oh you know, I have a mock something from Augusta national. I feel so great. It's the best for a felt on the golf course. I've got some busy stretch coming up here. Uh, I think I've definitely got some momentum after this one. Had he talked, uh, had he been able to, to polish off a good round, had he finished, let's say uh, fourth instead of eighth. Hey, you know, I've got a busy stretch coming up. This is uh, my f- I'm going to be playing five times in six weeks. I've just got to uh, kind of keep with, with what I've been doing. My game's in great form. Just can't, just can't press. That's exactly what he would have said. Had he talked with the media, had he shot maybe a a shot or two better. That's exactly what Roy McIlroy would have said. And I'm not sure he does need to re he, I'm not sure he does need to reinvent anything. He is playing well. He does have a bevy of top 10 finishes. It does feel now that JT's, uh, no longer do. It does feel like Roy McIlroy uh, is due for a win in 2022, but he's not getting any closer to solving these, these major riddles 
he's not getting any closer uh, to, to solving this, this issue where he is clearly freed up and where he is clearly wound tight uh, in the, in the moments of these major championships that are matter of most. I, I know that he has been working uh, with Dr. Bob Rotella uh, over the past couple of years to try and solve this. This, these four days uh, at Southern Hills are, are going to give those two a whole lot to pour over uh, when, once he gets on uh, that therapist couch. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know. And again, I think you're right. I think his game is actually in a really good spot right now, which leads me to believe, which is the obvious conclusion that, okay, there seems to be some sort of mental hurdle and it didn't used to be there, I guess, is the part that gets me. Like I I'm not being overly tough. I don't feel like we're being overly tough on Mito right now, because again, as I pointed out, this is the first time he'd even played the weekend at a major. There is a learning curve involved here until you actually went on the PGA tour and then you win a major championship. You really don't know what it takes to try to get it done on a Sunday when it really matters. And this particular case, Rory knows exactly what it takes. That was actually my lead. That was actually in my lead that Rory knows exactly what it takes. I don't think that's it. No, that doesn't sound like the, what the grief eater would have written. The quiet of a major Sunday isn't for everyone. That is the lead of my story. Um, okay. Circling back at the end with scroll, 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 scroll. He'd already know how many words is it? 2,500 words, 3,000 words that he could handle the quiet of a major Sunday. How many words? This one checked in at about 2,100. I went Mm. deep. I went deep on, on Mito. Actually, that's not as as deep as I I thought you got. Uh, 21. I mean, that's way too long for, uh, Something. Like However, uh, you could make the counter argument very impressive that I was able to crank out twenty one hundred words on deadline. You can oh, you can look sure. at it. You could look at it both ways. Sure, you nope. can't tell the difference between a red mark and a blue mark, but you can crank out twenty one hundred words on deadline. Good for you, man of Way many bring talents. Home. Jack of yeah. all trades. Way to bring it home. What are you going to remember this week about? Like, what's the one thing that's going to stand out for you when we look back in ten years from now? When I ask you about the Southern Hills Open. In 2022, what are you going to remember? First, that I absolutely love the golf course. Uh, I was in college when the 07 PJ was here, uh, the Tiger one. I do not remember anything. Really? I'm sure, I'm sure oh, you wow. remember heat exhaustion. Did, yeah. I, could not, I could not remember a single hole from that tournament. I absolutely loved it. It looks like, like a super fun golf course to play. Uh, in these conditions, it would have been incredibly challenging with the wind, uh, with those shaved areas with they are certainly with the green speeds and those slopes i love the golf course and i also remember uh tiger woods limping i'm not sure how many more uh times in general we're gonna we're gonna see him play golf i do i did like the golf course and i was kind of taken in pat and gazar uh sort of i think he kind of fired back at the golf course on saturday and we were talking about it this morning about that that made no sense to me because i don't i, I don't remember a lot about the golf course from 07 either Walking it this week, though, I think I grew a, a very real appreciation for it. Like, I, I think it's a cool golf course. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it, it's – you don't look at every tee shot and think, wow, there's nowhere I can hit this. Like, it seems to me it's playable for the members, and it's also a really good test for PGA Tour players, as we've shown this week. So, I, I don't understand where any kind of criticism would come he from. Didn't, he didn't play well. Of course you're going to criticize it. Yeah, that's what, and that's I what, – that's what PJ Tour players do. 
And I don't understand that. I mean, you and I were Raiders in a golf course Raiders in a different life. And I was always really careful about making sure that I didn't let my poor play, which is what happens more times than not. You can't let that impact how you kind of look at the golf course, or at least that's the way I felt. You don't want to, but I also think it's just human nature. Like your favorite golf course in the world is Royal Dornick. That's right. I enjoyed Royal Dornick. I also played poorly there in and so I wouldn't even put it in my top five. I put it in my top 10, but not my top five. So I think your experience always is going to color your opinion of something. It's just uh, you sound like a crazy person. Uh, that sounds insane that you would put it not one in somewhere in the top five. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one thing that, and I wrote this in my column tonight, that it, this is sort of, I think, what we can expect from a May PGA going forward, where we had five days of 90 plus degrees and 80% humidity and just sweltering hot. And then it turned on Friday night and it got cold and it got gloomy and the weekend was just kind of weird until the clouds broke and JT won. Imagine how happy Burko was. Imagine how happy Burko was sitting at home looking at all these twists and turns in the forecast. Okay. He was so mad that he wasn't here. Uh, And actually there was a couple of times on Saturday when the storms came through early Saturday morning that the alarms went off on people's phones. They were not weather alarms, but they sounded like weather alarms. And your ears went up like my dog when he hears the mailman pulling up to in front of my house. Yeah, I wanted, to be, I wanted to be a tornado chaser meteorologist in, in a past life. I've, I still think once I'm done with golf riding, that I'm going to dive uh, head, headlong into that career. Well, and, and it must have happened I can hear five you. Times. I can hear you swigging. What are you swigging? I can hear it's you swigging. True. No, it's not true. I hope it's not. I hope it's not that Dasani water bottle. As I'm sitting here chugging my big gulp. Uh, no, it, it's a it's a big wave. I, I got a big wave on the way out. There it is. Yeah, there it is. What? It's a, it's eleven thirty. We should be done. I just wanted to point out that this is what we should expect from PGA Championships going forward, especially next year. Your godforsaken Oak Hill Golf Course, which we're going. I'm sure it's going to end up being freezing all week long, and I just don't want to go. So I'm going to put in now that. That's not true. Really, it was warmer. It was it was thirty degrees warmer on that means Saturday in, in Pittsburgh, New York, than it was in Tulsa, it Oklahoma. It does mean something. The weather is going to be very unpredictable. It's not going to be ninety something for a couple of days. It certainly could snow. I think it'll be a lot of fun. That golf course, uh, unfortunately, uh, is not as uh, user friendly. I would say as Southern Hills in the variety, the creativity, the imagination required that we saw from Justin Thomas. I don't think it's any coincidence, Rex. Justin Thomas, besides Tiger Woods, is the most imaginative, creative, uh, innovative player, flighting shots, shaping shots uh, that we have on the PGA Tour. And you found a golf course in Southern Hills that was a kind of a blank canvas uh, for all of his all of his artistry. Well, and the winds blew, and he pointed out like it's it's it kind of challenged them on both levels because it blew out of the south and southwest early in the week, and then it switched, and it was howling out of the south and southwest earlier in the week, and then on the weekend it was north and northeast. And so, what you're doing is bringing out the artist, right? Like you're making, all right, I, I'm going to throw this at you for two days, and then for the next two days I'm going to throw something entirely different and see how you respond to that. That brings out the best in the artist. It does. You'll be heading to Texas this week. Driving four and a half hours. First thing in the morning. Uh, for Colonial. I'll be heading home for a couple of days before I go to Scottsdale for the men's NCAA championship. I am sure it is not healthy 
to go from 95 and humid to 50 and damp to then 110 uh, in Scottsdale. There's no way that that is safe uh, for the human body. I'll keep you up to date, Rex, uh, on Rudder's Block this week, what I'll be throwing on the grill. Uh, I have been starved uh, both literally and figuratively thanks to the uh, uh, PGA food staff. Uh, I have been starved. I'm looking forward to firing up those grills. I'm sure Fort Worth, uh, you'll be getting into something. But thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Make sure you check out all of our stuff on golfchannel.com. We'll see you next time.